good morning again. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Um, we have been in a series called Parables of the Kingdom of God. And um, today we are concluding, sad face, concluding that series. Um, and I say sad face, just it's been so challenging for me in my own faith. It's been so uh, faith building. It's been so um, encouraging. And um, I, I am a little sad for this, this series to end, but um, we're going we're gonna to close it out, I think, strong today. Um, and and um, I just want to remind you, the parables, the parables are, they're short stories, they're short, fictitious you know, not real stories that, that are told to communicate some kind of like moral truth or, or spiritual truth. And, and the parables are a crucial part of Jesus's teaching. And they were very often uh, hard to understand. They were very often um, misunderstood by a lot of people. People would walk away confused or discouraged or, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so... Um, Throughout the series, we've uncovered many, many hidden truths in the parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God. And, and uh, again, we've seen, we've, we've seen some challenging things. We've heard some encouraging things. But all of these parables, what the, one central theme through all of them is they tell us what our job is as, as Christ followers. It's to reveal the kingdom of God to those who don't see it yet. That's what it teaches us, to reveal the kingdom to those who can't see it. But How? How do we reveal the kingdom of God to those who don't see it? Because that, that reveal the kingdom of God is a pretty general statement. But how do we reveal the kingdom of God to those who can't see? How do we, um, like, what does that look like to reveal the kingdom of God in our everyday lives? And that's what I want to talk about today. How we go about revealing the kingdom of God. But before we look at the scriptures, would you pray with me this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. Open our hearts to receive your truth today, God. Open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to understand the words uh, from the mouth of God that we're about to hear today. I pray, God, that, that we would um, know you more and, and know your heart more after today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, what we're going to do today, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 13. Open them up, turn them on. If you have a digital Bible, um, turn it on. Um, but we're going to... Uh, what I want to do really quickly is I want to recap all the parables that we, we went through. Now, that might sound like, oh, my gosh, like this is going to take forever. It won't. I promise. Just stick with me. Um, it's going to matter. So Matthew chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 3, it says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil, the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times times as much as had been planted. And remember, the seed in this parable is the word of God, and the word of God is Jesus. And, and the, the different types of soil represent the human response to 
Jesus. So that's what that parable is about. Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through, and 22. Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a lampstand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. In this parable, the lamp represents Jesus and the lampstand represents us. And the, the kind of the moral of this parable is, are we going to, are we going to claim uh, Jesus for who he is? Or are we, you know, for all his left-handed, uh, left-handed power, or are we going to hide his true nature and purpose? And, and the next parable, Mark chapter four, verse 26 through 29, the kingdom of God is like this, he said, A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And the meaning of this parable is that the kingdom of God grows all on its own. The kingdom of God advances all on its own. There's nothing anyone can do to stop it, and there's nothing anyone can do to help it. It's already going on its own. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to and uh, to put the wheat in the barn. This one was jarring for me personally. Because this one, this parable points to Jesus' preference for inaction when it comes to evil. Do you want us to pull out the weeds? No, don't do anything. I'll take care of the weeds at the end. It's jarring. It's jarring to hear. Jarring to hear. That just because a person fights against evil, it doesn't make them good is, is kind of the, the point. So Luke chapter 13, verse 18 through 21. What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in, it permeated every part of the dough. The mustard mustard seed that grows into the tree is is representative of the kingdom of God, and the birds that, that make nests in the branches of that tree represent the nations that find safety in him, safety in the kingdom. And then he talks about the woman making dough and, and, and he makes the claim that, um, that, that uh, it's an over-the-top claim about how pervasive the kingdom of God is, that like yeast that makes its way through the dough, you cannot remove the kingdom of God from the world. You're, it's, uh, nobody will ev- be able to remove the kingdom from the world. It's here to stay. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. The kingdom of God can escape our notice if we're not looking for it. 
if we're not ready for it. It can, it can go undetected if we're not prepared for it. And the kingdom of God is so valuable that anyone who finds it is willing to give up anything they have to attain it. And if, if there's somebody who's saying, well, Pastor Ryan, I found the kingdom of God. I'm not willing to give up anything I have. If you're not willing to give up everything you have, you haven't really found the kingdom. Just something to chew on. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 through 48. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. And finally, last week, we learned that the kingdom of God is like a dragnet, and it gathers everything indiscriminately. And as representatives of the kingdom of God, the church should also be indiscriminate in its gathering, should also be gathering everyone we can to bring them back to God. So these are the parables Jesus used to describe what the kingdom of God is like. They're short, but they're jam-packed with wisdom and, and deep meaning and wild claims and upside-down, left-handed ideas about the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated while he was here. Throughout this series, I've been making the claim that our only job is to reveal the kingdom of God to people who can't see it yet. Our job as Christ followers is to reveal the kingdom to people who can't see it yet. That's it. That's it. Today I want to answer, I want to help answer the question, how? How do we reveal the kingdom of God? What does it look like to reveal the kingdom of God, kingdom of God to people in your sphere of influence? What does that look like? What does it look like to reveal the kingdom of God in your workplace? What does it look like to reveal the kingdom of God uh, amongst your friend group? What does it look like to reveal the kingdom of God in your family? That's what I want to answer today. But first, before we, before we start answering that, we have to establish a baseline understanding of uh, the story of the Bible and uh, our purpose here on earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So from the very beginning, God created us to be like him. We are supposed to look like God. We're supposed to be like God. God created us to be him, but the moment Adam and Eve sinned, the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed, sin entered the world and we became the enemies of God and it became impossible for us to be the image of God on our own. So what did God do? He's like, I got a plan. Because his, his plan didn't change. His plan has always been for us to be his image. So God is like, okay, I got it. I'm going to send my son to earth to show them what it looks like to, to be my image on earth. And Jesus is, because Jesus is the perfect image of God on earth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, uh, in the amplified version, it says this. He, he's talking about Jesus. He is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible the firstborn, the preeminent one, the sovereign, and the originator of all creation. Jesus is the exact living image of God. He, he is the model. He is what we're supposed to look at and see. That is what it looks like to be the image of God. And it has nothing to do with physical features. It has nothing to do with uh, how tall you are or how good looking you are or anything like that. It has everything to do with the way you live your life. The message version, uh, which is a paraphrase, it says it like this. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. Jesus is exactly what 
what God had in mind when he created humans. Jesus is, is the model human being and what we're supposed to strive to be like. So let me connect some dots for you really quickly. If we were created to be uh, God's image, right? We're created to be like him. And Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to be the image of God. Then we're supposed to live like Jesus. We're supposed to try to be like Jesus, right? We're supposed to be like God. Jesus is the perfect image of God. So we're supposed to live like Jesus, right? There's one. If we're supposed to look like Jesus and our only job is to reveal the kingdom of God, then it's, it's logical to conclude that the way Jesus lived reveals the kingdom of God. Are you guys tracking with me? You guys tracking with me? That's, okay, we're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to live like Jesus because that helps us be like the image of God. And the way Jesus lived reveals the kingdom of God. So if we want to reveal the kingdom of God in our world, if we want, you want to reveal the kingdom of God to your family, you've got to look like Jesus. You've got to live the way Jesus lived. Well, again, that's another really nebulous kind of idea. It's, it's really kind of general. So, so let's get back to the question, how, how did Jesus live? How did Jesus live to reveal the kingdom of God? There are four areas of Jesus' life that I want to examine today so that we can understand better how to reveal the kingdom of God. Four areas of his life that I want to look at and, 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 and I, I, I say, like, if we can get these right, we will be revealing the kingdom of God to anybody who looks at us. So the first area that I want to examine today is this. Jesus, he pursued God relentlessly. He pursued God relentlessly. Luke chapter 15, or Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says this, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often got away from everyone else, from everything else to pray. That word often can also be uh, like defined as regularly. Jesus regularly got away from everything else to go pray. He, he created this, this space to personally commune with God. And then Luke says it again in chapter 6, verse 12. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, he, uh, and he prayed to God all night. All night. It wasn't just like a God, God bless my food. You know, that, that's not the type of prayer. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what it was talking about. It's not like, oh, God, you know, help my kids sleep throughout the night. You know, it's not that. Though that's not bad either. I pray that every single night. Um, he prayed to God all night. He's creating space to personally commune with God the Father. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Four o'clock in the morning, Jesus gets up before anybody else is up, and he goes out to a place where he knows he's going to be by himself to get alone with God. He pursued God relentlessly. And that's, if, if we are going to reveal the kingdom of God to the world, we have to start there. We have to be pursuing the Father relentlessly. It's well documented that, that Jesus got away to devote himself to praying. And he charged his, his followers to pray regularly. Why? Because prayer is talking to God. It's communication, right? Um, but, but more than that, Prayer is communion. Prayer is, is communion with the creator of the universe. When we pray, we, we engage in loving relationship with the God who created us. And he graciously invites us 
into a close, personal, covenant relationship with him. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Everything we do, everything we should be doing is about knowing God more. All of this, the setting up the chairs, the sound system, the, the coffee, and all, like, all of that means nothing if we're not relentlessly pursuing his heart. All of this means nothing if we're not relentlessly pursuing God's heart. We're wasting our time if we're not doing this. If I'm not doing this, I'm wasting my time. Revealing the kingdom starts with relentlessly pursuing the heart of God. And when we live a life of, of relentless pursuit of him, it brings heaven to earth. And more and more people get to experience the presence of God. Jesus revealed the kingdom by relentlessly pursuing God. And that's where we as the church need to start. So what does it look like to relentlessly pursue God? Because there's another general statement. Well, I want to clear it up. Relentlessly pursuing God looks like praying every day. It looks like praying every day. But, but again, it's not just blessing your food or tucking your kids in. It's, it's, it's creating a space to get real and raw and honest with God about things that are going on, about your family, about your job, about this thing, about that. It's Prayer is not just saying blessings over things or, or asking God for things. P prayer is about creating a relationship. I know my wife because I spent time talking to her. If I never talked to my wife and I only asked her for things, that relationship wouldn't go well, right? God wants more of a relationship with us than us just asking him for things. He wants to know you. And prayer is how God learns about us. Prayer is how God learns about us. It's how we bring God into, prayer is how I bring God into my world and into my heart. Prayer is how you bring God into your world and into your heart. Prayer equals God learning about us. How do we pursue uh, God relentlessly? What does it look like? It looks like reading your Bible every day. It looks like reading your Bible every day. This, this is one of those Christian checklist things that if we're not, if we're not careful, we can, make, we can make that about the reading. Oh, I didn't, I, didn't, you know, I didn't read my Bible today. Oh, man, I'm a bad, I'm a bad Christian. Or, you know, oh, I did read my Bible today. Oh, check mark. You know, like, it's not about the reading. It's not about the act of reading. Reading the Bible is about getting to know the God who wrote it. That's what it's about. Reading the Bible equals us learning about God. Prayer is God learning about us. Reading the Bible is us learning about God. If we're going to relentlessly pursue him, we have to read our word because that's how we learn about who he is. What does relentlessly pursuing God look like? It also looks like worship every day. It also looks like worship every day. Now, many people hear that, worshiping every day, and they think, oh, sing songs every day. Well, it can be that. But worship is actually just submitting yourself fully to someone else's will. Worship is submitting yourself fully to someone else's will. Well, it's, it's, it's a designated time where you express your submission to God. And as a result of that submission, you live the way he wants you to live. Worship equals us submitting fully to the will of God. So prayer is God learning about us. Reading the Bible is us learning about God. And worship is about us submitting fully to the will of God. This is what relentless pursuit looks like. 
And this is the, the, the very first way we're going to be able to reveal the kingdom of God in our world is relentlessly pursue our creator. That's how Jesus did it. That's how we need to do it. The next way, the next, the next way Jesus' life taught us how to reveal the kingdom is this. He, he served unconditionally. He served unconditionally. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We drilled down on this um, pretty, pretty hard in our series in August, least, last, lowest, where um, serving opens someone's heart to Jesus' message. Right? And, and Jesus most always meets the ne- in Scripture, if you read it, Jesus most always meets the needs of somebody while he's, he's sharing the gospel with them. While he's sharing hope with them, he, he's always meeting physical needs. Because serving opens our heart to the word of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Um, this is a, a pretty well-known story. So when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom, and he healed those who were sick. So he taught them. He was, he was sharing about the kingdom of God, but then he also served, and he was healing people. He was healing the sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus, Jesus could have easily been like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we don't have any food here. Send them away. Yeah, yeah, tell them to fend for themselves. But he didn't. He took on the responsibility of feeding thousands of people because serving unconditionally reveals the kingdom of God. Serving unconditionally reveals the kingdom of God. Jesus could have easily seen what he was doing, that the teaching as like serving their souls, but he didn't. Again, he took on the responsibility of their physical needs. This is one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons I love Operation Christmas Child. Because along with sharing the gospel, we get to meet a physical need of a kid who, who doesn't, doesn't have things. Right? Doesn't have certain um, needs, right? We get to meet those needs. This is why I love, um, this is why I believe it's so valuable that we partner with Calvary to make these turkeys and to deliver these Thanksgiving meals. Because it's not just delivering Thanksgiving meals, it's not like, it's revealing the kingdom of God through something as simple as handing somebody a plate of food. It's, we're not just doing stuff to do it. We're, we're trying to reveal the kingdom of God. I, I asked Hannah Jackson if I could share this last week. Sh- Hannah, you probably almost none of you know this. Hannah spends a lot of her week like um, serving and, and helping Milford Advocacy for the Homeless. Like She never asks for credit. She never brags about it. But she does it because she, I think she understands that serving unconditionally reveals the kingdom of God. And no one is probably ever going to know that she did it, but she's still helping reveal the kingdom of God because she decided to serve unconditionally. And again, like this Operation Christmas Child stuff, this Thanksgiving meal delivery, like anything we do, like it's not just about doing stuff. It's about revealing the kingdom to our hurting and broken world. That's what it's about. I never want us to be a church that just does stuff just to do it. 
I never want that. I want us to be strategic and have a purpose behind what we do, and that purpose is to reveal the kingdom to people who can't see it yet. So the first way Jesus taught us to reveal the kingdom is he pursued God relentlessly. The next way is to serve unconditionally. The, next, the, the third way I want to talk about today that he revealed the kingdom is he loved outrageously. He loved outrageously. John chapter 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The dictionary divine, defines outrageous as um, shockingly excessive or bold, uh, unusual, startling. Jesus' love is shockingly obsessive, or excessive. It's, it's, Jesus' love is bold. Jesus' love is unusual. The way Jesus loves is startling. Jesus loved in a way that no one had ever seen before. He loved and expected nothing in return. He loved um, even when people didn't deserve it. He loved when he knew he was going to be killed for it. When he, he loved when people hated. He loved when, when people had nothing else to offer. Jesus loved well. He loved well and he loved outrageously. Um, the thing that made Jesus' love different is that um, whenever Jesus interacted with somebody, he always added value to that person. Always. Whenever Jesus interacted with somebody, he always added value to that person. And as followers of Jesus and representatives of the, of the kingdom, we should too. It should be that way with us too. And this is, this is something I, I learned early on in my walk that, that, that has just stuck with me, that adding value. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus um, spent time with, with the poor. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus restored adulterers. Why? Because nobody gets tired of being loved. Nobody gets tired of being loved. I've never heard someone be like, oh, please stop. You love me too much. You love me too. That doesn't happen, right? Nobody says that. Nobody gets tired of being loved. Jesus added value to, re to reveal the kingdom of God. And, and as his followers, as representatives of his, of his kingdom, we should too. Um, when Robin and I were in, in youth ministry in Nebraska, uh, we were a part of a youth group that was about 200 kids and about probably, I would say, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd say about 60% of the kids that attended this youth group didn't attend the church on Sundays. Now, if you don't know anything about like church statistics and all that, that is an anomaly because most, most youth groups are made up of like 90% kids within their church. Like, so like their families attend the church and so their kids go to the youth group. Like 90% of youth groups or 90% of youth group attendance is that, right? Kids who are part of the church, that kind of thing. But our, our youth group wasn't that. It's was like 60% of the youth group of the 200 kids was made up of kids who didn't go to church at all on Sundays. And and as a youth team, we, we like, were thinking about it and we examined it one day, like, why? Why is this happening? And we kind of came to the conclusion that um, we loved these kids that no one else would love. And we loved them well. We loved them outrageously. These kids that no one else would love because of their drug addictions, because of their criminal records, because of their uh, insecurities, because of their long rap sheet, right? People wouldn't, like, touch them. We, we loved them well. We loved them outrageously, and they 
and they, they came, right? They, they were a part of what we were doing, and we were able to reveal the kingdom of God to them because we loved them. So, well, I was one of those kids. I was a mess. I, I had my addictions. I had my insecurities. And Ryan Schwaniger loved me well. Jesse Hopkins loved me outrageously. Uh, David Gruner loved me well. Corey Demmel loved me well. Mike Donahue loved me well. These ma- names mean nothing to you, but these men revealed the kingdom of God to me simply because they loved me outrageously with the love of Christ. This is how we reveal the kingdom of God to people. We love them outrageously like Jesus did. Jesus revealed the kingdom by loving outrageously, and so should we. So the first area of Jesus' life that teaches us how to reveal the kingdom of God is he pursued God relentlessly. The second area of Jesus' life that teaches us how to reveal the kingdom of God is he served unconditionally. The third area, he loved outrageously. The final area I want to talk about today of Jesus' life that teaches us how to reveal the kingdom is he gave faithfully. He gave faithfully. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as Uh, God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. This is the way the God of the universe reveals himself. This is the way he reveals his love. This is the way he reveals his kingdom by giving. And it's not about money. It's not about money. It's, It's about the giving of yourself. It's about giving anything you have to reveal the kingdom of God. Jesus gives faithfully, even when he knows he's going to be mistreated. Jesus gave faithfully, even when he knows he's going to be abused. Jesus, he gave faithfully, even though he knew he was going to be taken advantage of. And he still gave. That's what it means to give faithfully. When you know your giving isn't going to get you anything back. There's no return on your investment. You're giving because it's it's what God has asked you to do. Research, Research shows that most people who give... They give because they wish to enhance their, like, social status or be a part of a certain type of group or, you know, they want a a better reputation or that kind of thing. But if that reputation never comes or that belonging to that certain group never happens, like, the giving stops. It's not that way with God, though. It's not that way with God. God gives no matter what he gets back. Jesus gives even when he doesn't personally benefit. So, you may have heard the old adage that even if, no one, even if no one repented, Jesus would have given his life on the cross. And I believe that's true because Jesus didn't do it to get something back. He did it because he's faithful in his giving. He, he, it's who he is. He, just, he gives because it's, it's his character to give. When Jesus gives, it's all about revealing the kingdom of God, and so it should be with us. Whether it, whether it is our financial resources or it's our time, whether it's our talents and gifts or, or anything else, we give to create an opportunity for people to see the kingdom of God on earth. It doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter if I see a tangible return on my investment. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about creating an opportunity for people to see the kingdom however I can. Doing whatever we can with whatever we have to reveal God's kingdom. Worship team, you can come to the platform. So the kingdom of God is here. 
It's our job to reveal it to people who can't see it yet. How? How did Jesus reveal the kingdom when he was here? He relentlessly pursued God. He served unconditionally. He loved outrageously. He gave faithfully. This is how Jesus revealed the kingdom, and as his followers, this is how we're supposed to reveal the kingdom. So that's what these parables of the kingdom teach us. That's what these parables of the kingdom teach us, that that the kingdom of God's already here, and by living like Jesus, we get to reveal it to people. That, that's what our core values are about here at Anchor, growing, learning, giving, reflecting, serving. It's all about revealing the kingdom of God. This is how we do it here in Milford. Know God, make him known. That's what we're created for. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that for each and every one of us that we would be challenged today by your word. We would be encouraged by your word. God, that we would be built up and edified by your word. God, help us to know what it means to reveal your kingdom in our individual lives. God, help me to know what it, look, what it means to reveal your kingdom to those I interact with on a daily basis on a daily basis. Thank you God. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. What I want to do right now before anybody moves or gets up or, or anything, I don't want to rush through this moment. I want to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to take a few minutes and the worship team's going to lead us in a song. And I just want us to respond. I want us to respond to the Spirit of God. You can, you can stay right in your seat if you want. You can stand if you want. You can sing the song or you can pray or you can meditate. However you need to respond, I want to encourage you to do that. But let's not rush through this moment. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. So if you want, stand with me. And the worship team is going to lead us this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for oh, your word. Thank you for this, this series that has pushed me and challenged me in my, my faith and what I believe to be true about you and your kingdom. God, continue to teach me. Continue to teach me how your kingdom works. Continue to teach us how your kingdom operates and how we're a part of it. Before we're dismissed today, I want to give us some next steps. And these next steps are just tangible things we can do to take the message and apply them to our life this week. So the first one is this week, I'll start praying every day for at least five minutes. So that might sound really intimidating. It might sound really challenging. You got to start somewhere. And this is how we begin to relentlessly pursue God. Pray, read your word, worship every single day. The next, uh, the next next, step is this week I will memorize Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is, is supreme over all creation. Hiding the word in our heart helps us. It helps us grow and it helps us know the Lord more.
And finally, I will begin inviting someone to sit with me for our Christmas series that begins on December 3rd, The Carols of Christmas. So um, we are uh, kicking off our Christmas series on December 3rd, and it's The Carols of Christmas. We're going to look at some Christmas carols, and we're going to unpack them and, and kind of understand the, the theological claim they're making. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Now is the time to begin inviting people to join us for that. Christmas is one of the times a year that people are most receptive to, to an invitation to church. So I want to challenge you invite someone to sit with you. So uh, let me pray one more time and we can be dismissed this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for time to, to worship and to give and to fellowship and to hear your word. And I just pray, God, that we would go encouraged that, that we are equipped to do the job you've given us. And that is to reveal your kingdom to those who can't see it. We love you, God. We thank you. And finally, to him who loves us and has freed us by his blood, to him who made us a kingdom, to him be glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. Thanks for worshiping with us, everybody. Thanks for being here today. We will see you next week. Have a great week.